Matthew 13, 31 to 35. Hear the word of the Lord. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Let's pray. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Among live-born animals, the one that grows the most from the size it starts to its adult size is the red kangaroo. It starts from its original size at 0.03 ounces, and it gets up to 180 pounds, which is a growth of 96,000 times its original size. I think humans are something like 22 uh, times their original size, so 96,000 times their original size. Now, that's nothing compared to those that start as eggs and hatch from eggs. Uh, the record for that is the ocean mola, which starts as a T-tiny egg and gets up to about 1,200 pounds, which is about 60 million times its original weight. So that's, that's, they hold the record, as far as we know, for the smallest to the largest. But as impressive as this growth is, it is minuscule in comparison to the growth of what is described in these parables, which is the kingdom of God. And all of the parables we've been looking at have to do with growth, but the, the parables, the short ones we're looking at today, focus on the tremendous nature of that growth and how, how very surprising and how very remarkable and astounding is the, the level of that growth. Now, what we have here, we jumped over this text last week because Derek looked at the parable of the weeds, and we have the parable of the weeds, then we have the section we're looking at today, then we have the explanation of the parable of the weeds. So these, these two parables are stuck in the middle of the, the parable of the weeds and the explanation. And what we have, unlike in the first two parables, we have two parables here without explanation. In the parable of the sower, Jesus gave an explanation on the side to his disciples. Uh, the parable of the weeds, Jesus also gave an explanation on the side to his disciples. But here we have two parables, and we don't have any explanations. So what we need to do is put on our parable hats and say, what have we learned so far about parables and about interpreting parables, and also look for clues in these parables in light of what we've already learned about parables. Now, both of these are comparisons of the kingdom of heaven to something. The kingdom of heaven is like, and we've already seen that, especially in the parable of the weeds. Both of these also use exaggeration. There's a great deal of exaggeration in both of these parables. Um, it talks about the mustard seed, which is smaller than all the other seeds. Well, it may not be exactly smaller than all the other seeds. Some, uh, some botanist could probably tell us about a smaller seed, but it's using exaggeration. Then it says it's larger when it's an, an adult plant. It's larger than all the other plants. Well, there are other plants that get bigger, but, but it's using exaggeration here. It calls it a tree. 
Well, we would probably call it a bush, not a tree. It refers to the woman, the second parable, refers to the woman who is, is hiding the leaven in a mass of dough. Well, the amount that it indicates is a mass of about 50 to 60 pounds, which is industrial size. This is, a, this is production of bread at a, at a commercial scale. So it's using exaggeration here to make the point. Both of these parables also refer to somebody taking something, says they took something, and then hid it, hid it where it could not be seen. And the movement is from hiddenness, invisibility where it cannot be seen to inescapable obviousness where you cannot not see it. So that's the movement of both of these parables. So let's look at the first one, the mustard seed in verse 31. The mustard seed, it says, represents the kingdom of heaven itself. Now notice the flexibility of the images in parables. This is the third time we have have a parable with seeds, don't we? But in the first parable, what did the seed represent? The seed represented the word of the kingdom. In the second parable that we saw last week, what did the seed represent? It represented the children of the kingdom, the sons of the kingdom. And now we have the seed representing the kingdom itself. Isn't that interesting? The same image, it's used to represent three different things. And what we have, as in the other two parables, the seed is sown by a man. It's sown by a man likely representing the same one as in the other parables. Now, remember, in the first parable, that man was not described, the sower. It wasn't described. But we figured out that it's Jesus. Well, you say that's obvious. It wasn't obvious to the people then. Last week, in the sermon on the, 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 the weeds, it was spelled out that this is the Son of Man. So, so we have that clue already. And that's really the secret to all the parables. It's about what Jesus is doing in that moment. That's what the parables are about. You say that's so obvious. It wasn't obvious to them. We're on the inside if we know that. And here we also find that this man sows the seed in his field, it says, in his field. Now, there's a difference in this field and the other fields we've seen. The other fields had problems in them, didn't they? Uh, The other seeds had rocks had hard-packed soil, had thorns. The other seeds had weed, or the other field had weeds planted in it that, that, that came uh, and, and, and confused themselves with the, the crop. But here, it seems like the field is fine. And so the seeds are sown, this mustard seed is sown, and what does it do? It starts very small and grows to be very large. For verse 31, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field, it is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree. Uh, mustard seed was proverbial for something very, very small. We already read in, our, in one of our readings today, in Matthew 17, Jesus says, if you have faith the size of a what? A mustard seed. So it was proverbial for the, the smallest kind of thing imaginable. Well, we, we would, I don't know what we would refer to because we keep finding smaller and smaller and smaller particles, uh, subatomic particles. It used to be, we might have said, uh, small as a molecule or small as an atom, but it just keeps getting smaller and smaller. But for them, it was small as a mustard seed. And the fact is that it grows to be very, very large, so large, verse 32 says, that the birds of the air can come and make nests in its branches. Now, the detail of the birds coming and making nests may be simply to say how big this bush gets. 
this plant gets so big that it's, there's room in this bush. There's room in this plant for, for birds to come and to dwell there, to roost there. Uh, or, in light of what we saw last week, these references to, to, the, to the prophecy of Daniel, it may be, once again, referring to something back in Daniel. Back in Daniel chapter 4, there was a dream. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And it was a dream that made him afraid, and he needed somebody to interpret it. And the vision was of a tree that got so big that it kind of covered the whole earth. And if you look at Daniel chapter 4, verse 11, it says, The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and it, it was, in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. And then if we go down to in Daniel 4, 21, we have a clue here of what that meant. It says it, it refers to the tree, verse 20 rather, the tree you saw which grew and became strong so that its top reached the heaven. Here's Daniel interpreting it. And it was visible to the end of the whole earth whose leaves were beautiful, fruit abundant, in which was food for all, under which beasts of the field found shade and in whose branches the birds of the heaven lived. Here Daniel says to King Nebuchadnezzar, it is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to the heavens and your dominion to the ends of the earth. So in this vision, Nebuchadnezzar's vision, the birds of the air are like the peoples of the world. The nations of the world that were able to, to take refuge under this great Babylonian kingdom. And so it looks like the same kind of image here. And in light of what we saw last week of the, the several references to Daniel, it's probably that same idea here, that, that the nations are represented here. The nations are able to come to this bush and, and dwell in this bush that represents the kingdom of God. That's the first parable. The second parable is the parable of the leaven in verse 33. This is the shortest one we've seen so far. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leaven. And here, it's, it's getting us out of the field, and it's getting us into the home. It's getting us out of what was typically man's work, and it's getting us into what was in the day typically women's work. It's getting us out of farming and into baking, uh, two very difficult tasks that took, took the, really the all day's work in the day. Now, in the Bible, leaven is almost always representative of something bad almost rep always represents something bad. Even in Matthew, uh, if you go to Matthew 16, just a few chapters over, verses 11 and 12, Jesus said to the, uh, his disciples, how is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread when I said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So something insidious, something negative, beware of that. And then uh, even more clearly uh, in, in 2 Corinthians, or rather uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 to 8, Paul says to the Corinthians, Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? 
Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And of course, this, this is hearkening back to the Exodus when they, they left and they did not leaven their bread. They, they used unleavened bread that didn't rise, and, and it harkens back to that. But leaven became a symbol of something negative that should be avoided and taken out. And therefore... Some interpreters, when they read this parable in Matthew, insist that the leaven here must represent something bad. Um, But it's really difficult to read the parable that way. Um, I've heard an attempt to do that, uh, and I appreciate the effort at consistency, but I think they're missing the point with all due respect. Because the focus of the leaven here is not whether the leaven is good or bad. It's the function of leaven. How does leaven function? Well... Leaven, interestingly, is a bubble producer, and there are different types of leavens. There's chemical leaven, there's mechanical leaven, organic leaven, and so on. Baking soda, baking powder, you put that into the mass because when it cooks, it, it, it makes bubbles, and that makes the bread spongy and makes it rise. But this leaven, in this case, would have been yeast, and yeast is actually, it's, it's a virus, or I'm sorry, a fungus, and it's a fungus that grows biologically. And as it grows, it produces alcohol, and it produces carbon dioxide, which produces bubbles. And that makes the bread rise, and it makes it nice and spongy and light. And it's interesting here that it says that the woman hid. It's an unusual verb. She took it, and she, she hid it, this leaven, this yeast. She hid it in this enormous mass of dough that would have made bread for, for hundreds of people, apparently. But the, uh, the thing here is that she hid it in one part and, I guess, covered it up. But then what did it do? It did what leaven does. It, it grew and it spread. And after it did its thing, it leavened the whole lump, then it was no longer hidden. Its effects were obvious absolutely everywhere. Now, in this case, there's no interpretation of the dough. We know that the leaven represents the kingdom of God. Uh, Its effect of of starting in a hidden place and then affecting the whole mass, the whole dough, the whole lump. There's no representation given here, but it is likely that it refers to the world. Because the first parable, especially in light of what Daniel says, refers to the world, the nations, And so it's likely that this mass of dough also refers to the world, which one day will be completely permeated with the kingdom of God. It will work its way into absolutely every nook and corner of this world. Now, after those two parables, for the second time, we have an explanation. And we have an explanation that comes from the Old Testament. Do you remember back when we looked at the parable of the sower a couple weeks ago? The question was from the disciples, why do you speak to them in parables? And then he explained why he spoke to them in parables. And so far, what we have learned are two things about the purpose of parables. One purpose is to conceal the truth from those on the outside and to reveal it to those who have the secret of the kingdom of God. So it has a double edge to it. It conceals 
the truth from those who do not know the secrets of the kingdom. It reveals the truth to those who know the secrets of the kingdom. And so that seems like kind of an open and shut thing. Either you have the secrets or you don't. Uh, At the same time, we also saw that the parables challenge us to hear carefully. And it's interesting that in verse 9 of the same chapter, Jesus preached to the the crowd and told them the parable of the sower. And then he said, let him who has ears to hear, hear. And so he says to the crowd, there's a a challenge there. There's an invitation there for the crowd to hear carefully. And then last week, at the end of the parable of the weeds, he says uh, to his disciples, after he's given them the explanation, he says to the insiders at the end of verse 43, he who has ears, let him hear. So it's interesting that this is the same command, this is the same invitation, the same challenge that he gives to those on the outside who don't yet have the secret of the kingdom. And he says the same thing to those on the inside to whom he has revealed the secret of the kingdom. Both are challenged to hear carefully. This quotation that we have in verse 34, uh, verse 34 and 35, it says, all these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. By the way, this is referring to this body of, of teaching here. There are other times in Jesus' ministry when he did teach without parables, but in this time, it was parable or nothing. And that's why we have in this section of this teaching parable after parable after parable, which could have been very frustrating for those who were hearing. But at this point, he was giving them only parables. And then we have in verse 35 another explanation. And this explanation also comes from the Old Testament. It says, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. The prophet. Interesting. If we find out where this is, it's back in Psalm 78. And he refers to the writer of that psalm, possibly Asaph. It's attributed to Asaph. It calls him a prophet, which is is kind of unusual for us because we usually think of prophets, well, Isaiah or Jeremiah, but it's referring to Asaph as a prophet as well, that this, this psalm is prophetic. And in that psalm, we have another purpose of the parables. And it, it's this. Um, it's, well, by the way, uh, when he, he quotes this, Quotations from the Old Testament are fascinating because the Old Testament was written in Hebrew or or its cousin Aramaic, and then the New Testament was written in Greek, and so they had two options. If they knew Hebrew, they could translate right from Hebrew, or they could just use the, the already translated Greek version of the Hebrew Old Testament. Are you with me? So there was a standard thing. They do what we do. We're reading in English. The New Testament was not written in English. Somebody already translated for us, and we can just take advantage of of their excellent work. Well, they could do that too. There was a version of the Greek Old Test or of the of a version of the Old Testament. It was in Greek, and so they could just quote from that if they're using Greek. Well, here it's interesting that he did both. Matthew did both. Uh, He quoted the first line directly from that Greek version of the Old Testament. I will open my mouth. In parables. And then the second line, I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. It looks like there he used his own translation. So he was mixing what was already translated apparently with his own translation. And we wonder why he did that. Well, it looks like the reason he did that was because of the connection with this word hid or hidden. Do you remember what the woman did strangely? What did she do with her leaven, her yeast? She hid it. 
almost, almost kind of secretly, she surreptitiously took her leaven and she hid it almost uh, so that no one could see it. And, and here it says, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden. It looks like that's the connection here, why he freely translated here. Hidden since the foundation of the world. So what's the other purpose of parable? All that, all that is to say, here's the third purpose of parables, and that is to reveal what has been hidden. And probably you will say what you've already said. Really, we already knew that. that that's so obvious. Of course, that's the reason. But it wasn't obvious to them. Remember, folks, that we're the ones who have been given the New Testament. We've been given the key. We've been given the secret. And so what was obvious to them, uh, not obvious to them, could be obvious to us. But it's interesting that this whole idea of the secrecy, the things that were hidden and now are being revealed, this is a theme that goes all through the Gospels and it goes all through the Old Testament. That all through, I'm sorry, all through the New Testament, because in the Old Testament, whenever we read through the Old Testament, we have this sense that the people, as much as they had, were scratching their heads and saying, what's this all about? How is this all going to come together? What's the fulfillment of all this going to be? And then even we get to the Gospels in the New Testament, and Jesus is being kind of cagey. He's being kind of secretive. He's using parables. He's using metaphorical language, and it's, it's not being blown open quite yet. But one day it would be blown quite open. And then since that time, the, 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 the job of the church is not to be cagey, not to be subtle, not to be unclear, although sometimes we preachers are unclear, I have to confess, but it's to be as clear as we can because our job is now to declare a secret that has been revealed. The top has been taken off. It is obvious now. And Paul talks like that. Paul talks like that about his own ministry in, in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. He says this, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles, the nations, the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Why not? Why not lose heart? He says, because my job is to blow this secret to the ends of the world because it's no longer a secret. Now it's a, a secret that should be blabbed any, everywhere and, and, and in all places. And what's that secret? That Christ Jesus is reconciling the nations to God. All the nations, not just the Jews, but all the Gentiles. And he's building them into one body. That's the secret that was hidden for generations. And he says that's what the parables do. The parables reveal the, the secret that's been hidden. Now that's, that's good to balance this with what we've already seen because we've seen that the parables are to conceal and now we see that the parables are also to reveal. And so they have a concealing and a revealing function. Now let's try to put, put everything together or if not everything, much together from the four parables that we've looked at so far. They all point to a delay. All of them point to a delay. 
in the, the consummation, in the summing up of the kingdom of God. Because all of them point to growth over time. How much time? It doesn't say. As long as it takes for the crop to be mature. As long as it takes for the mustard seed to become the biggest tree in the garden. As long as it takes for the birds to take up residence in its branches. As long as it takes for the yeast to work its way through that huge mass which represents the world. Therefore, if that's, if that's the point of, of all, the, or one of the points of all these parables, what's that say to us? It says we need to be patient. We need to be patient. And we also need to be hopeful. Patient and hopeful about the growth of the kingdom of God. At the same time, we should not be sitting on our hands. There's much work to do. While the kingdom grows, it grows as the seed gets scattered, as the leaven gets introduced into the lump. You see, there's much worse to do. The seed must be scattered. The mustard seed must be planted. The leaven must be hidden, kneaded into the dough. And while we do this, we need to do this knowing that the seed will grow, because that's what seeds do. That the mustard seed will grow and become the biggest plant in the whole garden. Why? That's what mustard seeds do. And the leaven will infect and permeate the entire planet. Why? Because that's what leaven does. And so we need to work in hope and in patience, knowing that the kingdom of God will grow. Why? Because that's what the kingdom does. Now, this is important for us to remember today. Since the growth of the kingdom of God in our land at this time in history seems to be very, very slow. In fact, in my 44 years of being a Christian and in my 36 years of being a pastor, this is the slowest growth that I have ever experienced in, in all the different places. There haven't been that many, but in the places in which I've ministered. This is the slowest growth situation I've ever perceived, ever experienced. And I have to say, it hasn't been an easy adjustment for me. And it's not an easy adjustment for the Church of Jesus Christ in our land. Um, at the same time, we need to recognize something. Our perspective is very, very limited. When I think about 36 years, I think that's more than half my life of being a pastor. When I think about 44 years, that seems like a long time to me. For some of you, that's longer than you've been on the planet. That may seem like an eternity, 44 years. That's, that's a long time. But in, in the, the scheme of things, it's a, a blip. And so our perspective is very, very limited in terms of what's going on in reality in the kingdom of God. And if we will read about what's going on in the world, remember the branches are to extend and, and take in the nations of the world. Remember that dough or that leaven is to get through the whole dough, which is the whole world or even the whole cosmos, the whole universe. If we read about what is happening in our world, we can say thanks be to God because the kingdom is growing by leaps and bounds in some places of the world where it had never yet had an impact, and one day it may do the same thing again here. We do not know, 
But we need, at the same time, to continue to plant, continue to water, continue to, to knead the, the yeast into the mass in expectation that in God's time, the kingdom will do what the kingdom will do. And that is, it will grow to cover the entire cosmos. Jesus explained explain the secret of the growth of the kingdom in another adaptation of the language of these parables. If you go to the Gospel of John, you don't have parables in the same way. You have many metaphors, many images. But I want you to notice this one last use of the seed in John chapter 12, 24. He said this, Unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So what do we have? Now we have a fourth image of the seed. The seed has been compared so far to the word of God. The seed has been compared so far to the sons of the kingdom. And today, the, the mustard seed, the seed has been compared to a mustard seed. Those are three. And that's been the kingdom of God. So the, the word of the kingdom, the sons of the kingdom, and the kingdom itself, all those are represented by a seed. But now in this, this last one, in the Gospel of John, we have a fourth representation of the seed. The seed is the king. The seed is the one who, who fell to the earth and died and was, was hidden for a time imperceptibly in the earth where he was, he was buried and he, he wasn't visible and nobody could see him, nobody could perceive him. He, he was... He was as far as human sense could determine, he was, he was gone. He was out of the picture. The one was buried. That one seed was buried in the heart of the earth for three days. And then that one seed burst forth. And that one seed conquered over death. So that that one seed would be the first seed of a tremendous growth of the kingdom that will put to shame the red kangaroos that will put to shame and embarrassment the ocean molas. Only growth of only 60 million times? Are you serious? That's nothing in comparison to the growth of the kingdom of God that started with one seed, one man who fell to the earth and died and was buried, was hidden in, in, in the depths of the earth. And that one seed, even now, we don't have the numbers, but even now, we know that that one seed has produced millions upon millions of fruit. And by the time that that seed, that yeast, works its way through the entire cosmos, we will probably be talking about billions upon billions or trillions of people who have come under its branches and rested in those branches. So Church of Jesus Christ... Take heart. Don't give up. Keep going. Keep sowing. Keep watering. Keep praying. Because the kingdom of God is going to fill the entire cosmos. Why? Because that's what the kingdom does. Because the king was buried in the heart of the earth. And the king rose triumphant. And he will bring his kingdom to pass. And it will fill absolutely everything. If it looks hidden now, don't worry. Don't worry. It will be inescapably obvious to everyone in the entire cosmos.
Let's pray. Our God, we thank you for these parables of the kingdom. Your son, our Lord Jesus, taught them to people in, in the land of Israel 2,000 years ago. And today they seem as fresh and as challenging and as encouraging as they were then. And maybe even more so because we have, we have more information than even they did to understand them. And, and we've seen how they've played out over these 2,000 years. And Lord, we thank you that the kingdom grows because the kingdom grows because the king was planted in the earth and rose again. And Lord, we pray for the church of Jesus Christ in our day. Some places around the earth on the defensive, some places stagnant, some places growing by leaps and bounds. Lord, protect your church, grow your church. And we pray that you would uh, and give us the, the privilege of seeing growth again in our day. But even if we don't, we pray, O oh God, that uh, you would, would extend your kingdom to the ends of the earth and that we would be able to take our place in that, that we would sow in hope, that we would sow in expectation, that we would sow in patience, knowing that the kingdom will come because the kingdom will come. Encourage our hearts, O oh God, and stir us up to be at the work of the kingdom. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.